Hey y'all, and welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. My name is Pastor Christopher Lorette, and I'm glad that you're here today. This week's scripture texts are Isaiah 49, 13 through 26, and John 20, 24 through 29. Before we jump in, I want to give you a few heads up about this week's sermon. First off, I'm not the preacher. <laughs> Instead, my wife Jackie, who's also a pastor, preached at Centerpoint this last Sunday. Secondly, unfortunately, we had an issue with her microphone that caused her to peek and it distorts her voice a little bit. I've done my best to get, mitigate this, but uh, my apologies to y'all listening because I didn't think about how her microphone would sound being recorded. Thirdly, eventually her microphone runs out of her battery. Um, so she ends up switching over to my microphone. <laughs> so the distorted audio is only about half of her sermon. So you should notice an improvement in the quality when she switches over to mine. With that said, Jackie's sermon is based on the Doubting Thomas text in John. For Thomas, he had already been through a ton of heartache at seeing his Savior killed, and his heart just couldn't go the extra step unless he saw the wounds of Jesus for himself. Jackie goes on to tell a harrowing story about a cult, a journalist, and those who broke free from the secretive group. So what does this have to do with Thomas? Well, I'll let her tell the rest of her own sermon and stop preaching for her. But let's get it started with listening to this week's scripture readings. Brothers and sisters, we've come to our time of scripture reading. Miss um, Sherry will be leading us in Isaiah 49, 49. verses 13 through 16. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his suffering ones. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child in her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you are able for our gospel reading, we will be reading from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he, but he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hands in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord, and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Chris. I, I was telling Kim earlier I haven't met a pulpit that I don't feel like I'm sinking behind, so um, I found a short one. Uh, thank you for having me, Centerpoint United Methodist Church. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, as Chris said, my name is Jackie. I'm his wife, and um, I am so, uh, I'm so encouraged to hear your prayer requests, your praises and concerns, and I'm especially touched, and I was surprised that you have a special time to pray for young disciples, to pray for children. Um, this has been heavy on my heart lately with school coming back in session. Every school, every teacher is trying to juggle this new situation, figure this out, keep everyone safe, keep everyone learning. And I have a close friend who is a teacher. She's a kindergarten teacher in East Texas, and um, we're, in a, we're in a little text group together. You know, wonderful thing about uh, today and technology, one good thing is that we can keep in touch with folks who live far away. And I'm in this text group with a few other women, uh, as I said, one of whom is a kindergarten teacher, and she sent us pictures of her classroom as every teacher does, she worked very hard putting her classroom together, making it pretty, and she sent us pictures of the final product. It's very cute, very engaging, very colorful, but each little desk, and they're tiny kindergarten desks, each little desk has like a plexiglass, you know, sneeze cover. And uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of shocking to see, but the women in the chat, we, we all, gave our encouragement. I mean, the classroom looks wonderful, but uh, our friend Kat, the teacher, she's, uh, she's deflated, you know? She said, thanks for the compliments, and I can't help but see it as anything but a very colorful little prison. So, uh, so yeah, keep praying for our kids, and definitely pray for our teachers. Um, so one of the other women in this chat, uh, her name is Michelle, and her response was, is there a window in your classroom? And I've heard this, I think, a million times. You know, people are very well-meaning, and they're trying to set up some sort of suggestion. Is there a window in your classroom? Well, why don't you just do this, or why don't you just do that? And that'll make it all better. And already in my head, I was thinking, she's setting up a well-meaning piece of advice that's going to fall flat for these poor kids and this poor teacher. And Kat says, yeah, we've got a window in our classroom. And Michelle replies, um, well, can I build you a hydroponic garden? And she said, I'll, I'll especially choose plants that will help filter the air better, because Kat was worried about the, the air circulation. And I was, I was surprised that she was offering to really help in a material way. And I was surprised at my own cynicism and lack of faith <laughs> that Michelle is already thinking of ways to, to give of her time and her effort and her talents and help. And all I'm doing is sitting here thinking, this is going to be a platitude. It's going to be an empty piece of advice. 
Um, and so I, I feel like uh, as wonderful as Michelle is, as wonderful as that, that offer to help was, I feel like my optimism tank this year is like empty. <laughs> It's running on fumes. It's been just one too many things and just a little bit too long. And I think so many of us, most of us, are just getting tired, running out of running out of fuel. Our optimism, our optimism tanks are empty. And so today's scripture from the Gospel of John, uh, I, I see the same thing in the disciples. I picture them after the worst day of their lives. They thought they were going to be in the top ranks of this kingdom with this Messiah at the top who would save everyone, and instead their, their would-be Messiah was killed by the Roman state, which uh, apparently nothing can stand up against Rome after all. And so they all went off to hide. They're hiding in the upper room. They're sheltering in place. I'm sure their optimism tanks are empty, and Jesus appears to them. And then later, as you just heard, uh, Thomas, one of them wasn't there when Jesus appeared, and he said, I'm going to need real proof. I'm going to need real proof. His optimism tank is empty, and he's going he's gonna to really need something convincing because, no, there's nothing more powerful than the Roman state, and death is the final end to everything. And so you're telling me that there's good news, and you're telling me that someone has conquered death, and you're telling me that everything is okay, and I'm just supposed to sit here and believe you. No, I'm going to need real proof. And um, so especially in this time, that, that really resonates with me. I think uh, how I heard it once is, is the worries and fears and messages of this world, they seem to be in high-definition video right in front of us all the time. And we have this wonderful message of the gospel, this wonderful message of Jesus Christ, but it's, it's kind of like it's, it's on audio, you know? It's on audio, and it's there, but high-definition video is those messages every day that we get of be afraid, there's really no good news, be negative, lose hope, cynicism is the way to go. And so I really, I really click with Thomas here. He's saying, you're telling me everything's all right, you're telling me we're loved, that there's a power greater than death, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need solid proof. So several years ago, uh, I think when I first met Chris, I was watching this kind of young adult superhero show. It was called Smallville. And it was a show about Superman when he was young, when he was a teenager and he was growing up. And his best friend, Clark Kent's best friend, was someone named Chloe. And she was a reporter. And uh, the girl who played Chloe, her name's Allison Mack, she was so sweet and innocent and just nailed that part. And so I watched that show for several years and probably never would have thought of it again, uh, except in 2018, I saw a news report, I think it was with the New York Times, that uh, Allison Mack, this woman who had played this very sweet, innocent reporter, this actress was arrested for being second in command of a cult, 
And so she and this mastermind, Keith Ranieri, that they, um, they swindled people out of all of their money. But worse than that, they were arrested on charges of human trafficking. That they actually brought young women in and they got blackmail on them. And once these women were in the cult, they were, they were basically slaves. Their lives were signed away. And the women were too afraid or too brainwashed or, or just totally messed up and, and couldn't leave. They felt like they couldn't leave. And so that's why it stuck with me. I just thought, this girl looks so sweet. And apparently, she was just using her acting because <laughs> she's, she's one of these masterminds. And I thought, um, my brain working the way it does, I thought, man, when they come out with a documentary, I'm going to watch the heck out of that. Like, this is so fascinating. And so uh, it won't surprise you to hear that recently there was a documentary made about this cult called. How can you argue with that? I know that I'm, uh, I know I can project and I'm very loud, but just, I'm a stickler for mics just for folks who, who are hard of hearing. I just want to make sure that I'm mic'd. Um, all right. So, uh, so this documentary came out, and of course, me being me, I watched the heck out of it. I knew that I would. Uh, but one of the wonderful things about this show, it's, it's called The Vow, um, and the kids are very frustrated because I've been watching this boring grown-up show, first of all, and I won't let them watch it with me because um, it's got, obviously, some adult themes. That's true. You, do, you watch Stranger Things. Um, so, so the great thing about this show, though, is it doesn't, is it, it talks about all the messed up cult stuff and all the psychological stuff, but actually that's not what it focuses on. It focuses on two people who got out. One of them is named Sarah Edmondson and the other is named Mark Vicente, and it focuses uh, very closely on these two people who were high-level recruiters for this organization. How they got almost all the way up to the top. They were, told, they were true believers, and then they ended up getting out uh, with their spouses, believe it or not. Their marriages were somehow intact. And uh, these two people, they can go on with their lives and have normal lives, except they can't because they were high-level recruiters. And heavy on their heart is they know people and faces and names that are still trapped in this organization. And these folks, Sarah and Mark, they cannot rest easy until they get as many individuals out as possible. It's not enough, they realize, to be saved from the fire, but they have to go and give this truth to other people and get them out and save them because they know how dangerous it is. So the first thing that Sarah and Mark try to do after getting out of the Nexium cult is they try to, uh, they talk to this blogger who, who writes online to expose this group. And he writes this big blog post about it, but he's kind of out there and fringe and no one really reads him. And, and the cult leader is, he's an expert at this, so he's like, of course there are detractors and of course they, they don't believe our self-help message. And, and so it barely makes a dent. And it certainly doesn't change anything about the people who are trapped in this organization. And so the next thing that they try to do 
is they think, well, we need a uh, we need a bigger name publication. We need somebody that, that people will read and really listen to, to, to kind of blow this story open. And so they start talking to someone from the New York Times. And uh, in all of these talks, they, the, the New York Times journalist says, you have a very compelling story. It's very interesting. It's great, um, but we're a newspaper. We need proof. And so they're digging through all of their files that they managed to sneak out of this cult. But of course, it's very, it's airtight. It's designed to look like this is just a self-help organization. It's just a marketing organization. All of their tracks are covered. So how did they get, how did they get from here to where the lid is blown wide open and there are people being arrested? Well, um, Sarah, the woman in the organization, she, she thought, I really have to come forward, and I really have to do it on the record, even if it risks my life. And so again, she talked to the journalist, and she said, um, this is a terrible organization. They're, they're, traffic they're trafficking people. They are, they're branding people. They are, um, they're blackmailing people. They're doing all of these horrible things. And the journalist said, I'm sorry, I need proof. That's what they called class one data, irrefutable proof. And so Sarah, uh, she got up her courage and she said, well, I'll go on the record. Well, we need class one data, we need proof. And Sarah said, well, I'm your proof and then revealed that she, on her body, had a brand from the cult. And that was proof that they couldn't deny. That was proof that the, this cult leader, Keith Raniere and Allison Mack, that they couldn't wiggle out of. The proof is on Sarah's body for the whole rest of her life. And I'm so glad that we know how this story turned out, that that proof was so wild and so extreme that the story got out there and these people got arrested. And not only that, but this whole organization is shut down. Mark and Sarah wanted to get as many people out as they could. Everybody's out. Everybody's free. Everybody is safe again. And it only, cost, it only cost Sarah offering up her body as proof. So again, it's been a long year. It's been a long year. Our optimism tanks are empty. And it's very understandable if we hear about good news, if we hear that death has been conquered, we hear that we are loved, we hear that we are cherished, and that nothing can stop the kingdom of God, it's understandable for us to say, I need to see proof. I need class one data. 
And so how wonderful is the heart of God that when we ask for proof, he says, okay. That when Thomas asked for proof, that Jesus showed him the marks in his hands. Jesus showed him, he let him put his hands into the, mar- into the hole in his side. That Jesus said, my very body itself is the proof that you are loved, that there is life after death, that the power of God is greater than the power of Rome. We say this passage in Isaiah is written over 1,500 years ago. And so it's not just these times that we need this message. This message has been around for centuries, since the beginning of history. And so we read this, we say, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Even if she might forget. Even if the tank is empty, even if you don't feel loved, even if you need proof, even if you've got nothing left. Verse 16 says, see, look, look, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. All the proof we'll ever need of the love of God, we look to Jesus. All the proof we'll ever need of the power of God over the empire, we look to Jesus. All the proof we ever need of the power of God over death itself is written on Jesus' very body. So let's look to him. When the tank is empty, let's look to him. When we're afraid, let's look to him. On Sunday mornings, let's look to him, but in the dark night of the soul, let's look to him. Is all the proof we need. Amen.